Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your podcast if you like urticaria. All Things Urticaria comes to you from the UCARE Network, the network of urticaria centers of reference and excellence. And I am joining you today from the UCARE here in Berlin. And I'm very, very happy that Johnny is here. Johnny Peter from the UCARE in South Africa. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for the invitation. Good to have you. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, to start off with a little bit about your UCARE? So the first thing to say is if you look at the UK map, what I'm always struck with is my lone dot at the southern tip in Cape Town of the African continent. Um, And we are very glad to be um, part of this network or internationally and trying to sort of pioneer the way for South Africa, which is a, a kind of dynamic and interesting country which really sits you know, we consider ourselves kind of a low middle income country, but we've also still got some really good healthcare infrastructure. We've got burgeoning diseases of infectious diseases in the background, and we've still got growing problems with hypertension and communicable diseases as well, and also urticaria. And so we sit in Cape Town and our urticaria center, sort of uh, Cape Town's a city of about 5 million people, uh, and we sit in the tertiary center there. Um, we are unfortunately the only UK center in South Africa and also in Africa. So we try to really spread our net uh, in terms of education, advocacy, and even uh, kind of telemedicine, uh, you know, for people that need consults as well in other parts of South Africa and also Africa. How is that going, Johnny? I mean, some of us uh, will probably have good guesses on why the rest of Africa um doesn't have a UCARE and why treatment for patients with urticaria may be very different. But how do you see this? Is it is that so? And where will be the next UCARE in Africa? Yeah, it's actually interesting because you know we've been trying to gather some you know data just to look at the epidemiology, just to say is exactly what you're saying, is urticaria and particularly chronic urticaria, is that the same? in uh, an African context. And, you know, our data, we've got about 200 patients now on our registry. um, And what we really see is we see chronic urticaria in all demographics. Uh, South Africa also has a lot of diversity in its population. So we have people of European origin. We have people of sort of Bantu, Black African origin. We also, in the Cape, we have quite an interesting group, which is a mixed ancestry group. So they, they kind of have a bit of an admixture of everything. Um, we also even have some Indian uh, migrations. And so we see, and we see chronic urticaria across the spectrum. And you know what? It actually looks very similar to, our, yeah. to all of our Europeans. So it's female I, I, predominant. Uh, yeah. You know, it, um, it uh, kind of looks the same, uh, although the kind of some clinical manifestations are slightly different. And I've also seen some lovely data coming out of both Tanzania uh, which is in East Africa and also in Nigeria. So if I had to put some, you know, I'm trying to make context uh, through other links with dermatology and allergy con- co- uh, co- uh, colleagues in those places, but I would really like to see a, 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 U- an, a UK center in East Africa and the next one in West Africa. 
Very good. No, I'm all, I'm all behind you. Let's do that. Let's help the colleagues there uh, to build that. I want to come back to something you said that I think is very important and interesting. We don't see big differences globally, uh, influence of genetics or or regional differences. Yes, epidemiology appears to be a little bit different, but that could also be, uh, so prevalence uh, may be higher in some parts of the world than in others, but that could also be because of the way that studies were done. Um, another one is uh, how urticaria patients deal with their itch. You know, I've learned from our Asian colleagues that slapping the skin may be the preferred way rather than rubbing it with your fingertips, which I see in most of my patients. But do um, you have, this very diverse group of patients, as you say. Any learnings from that? Um, yeah, it's actually interesting. So, you know, my other area of interest is in drug allergy. Um, and we recently, uh, we've actually published a paper specifically looking at that, about the manifestations of drug allergy in pigmented skin. And, and it's interesting you bring up itch, because I uh, certainly from the perspective of uh, kind of hives and angioedema, the experience is the same. The morphologies look the same uh, across all, all um, you know, skin tones. But actually, itch is something where there seems to be some genetic predisposition in Black African populations to experience itch more severely. Uh, and I would say that, you know, that's where even at the kind of patient level and at doctors, one of the main kind of first steps on the rung for us as a UK has been educating people to move away from the sedating old-fashioned antihistamines and move towards uh, second generation and updosing. Up it sounds very basic, but actually, believe it or not, colleagues are still uh, needing education on that front. And I think part of the reason there is that, you know, uh, are, are some of our local population or Black African populations experience itch maybe more severely uh, and that needs to be targeted specifically in addition to hives. The other things we've seen, which is a, a sort of growing area of interest for me, is that we, I think that compared to international literature, we see a disproportionate amount of recurrent angioedema in our, our mixed ancestry in black African populations. And most of that is responding to high dose antihistamines as therapy, suggesting that it's it's mast cell mediated. Um, but but we the two things I would say that are interesting uh, in the local context is one we have an incredibly high burden of H pylori. Um, so it's estimated that you know the seroprevalence amongst like a 15 year old population in South Africa is upward of 80 percent. So incredibly high burden of H. pylori. And I think this is true uh, through other parts because I've seen data similar from Nigeria as well. So I think it's across the, the continent, although the strains and the virulence factors of H. pylori different, are differ. And I think that uh, that's sort of, you know, some of um, the kind of older work I've actually in urticaria been interested in taking further in our context, which is about the disruption to the GRT permeability, uh, you know, get the, those aspects of driving, uh, particularly this recurrent angioedema phenotype. What I think is another, as kind of the third point I would add there, is that we, we there's been, if you look in the sort of uh, literature as well, you'll see that often people talk in the African context about acute urticarias and even chronic being driven by parasites. And mm. other GRT parasites. And we actually haven't found that. So outside of H. pylori, 
um, we do not find uh, increased burden of, uh, you know, ascaris lumbricoides or stronganoides or something. Certainly in our adult populations with, with chronic urticaria or recurrent angioedema. And I just saw data, you know, like I, I was, uh, in preparation for this, I was looking through a little bit more and the same experience in Nigeria. Um, and, you know, we first picked this up because we don't normally look for it, but when we've been involved in some of the, the omelizumab and the anti-IgE clinical trials, we've been sure. forced to go looking for these GRT parasites and we just haven't found them. So yeah. I'm not sure that that is, uh, I'm not sure that that is a factor really. You know? Super, super interesting. Thanks for sharing, Johnny. I want to come back to causes and concepts, but before that, let's talk um, a bit more about that angioedema aspect. I find that super interesting, and I've always been puzzled uh, about this wide range of um, rates of patients who, in addition to their wheels, have angioedema. So it, you, know, you read one study and it's 20%, you read the next study and it's 70%. Ours is more on the 70% end. Uh, and then also standalone uh, recurrent angioedema without wheels, which in my perception, and uh, that's also the definition of chronic spontaneous urticaria, is a subform of uh, CSU. Um, where where do you where do you end up? Uh, you say there's more angioedema, more recurrent angioedema, standalone and uh, in combination with hives. If you had to guess, uh, how do the three groups fall into percentages? Wheels only, wheels plus angioedema, angioedema only. Yeah, so I, I think we're seeing about uh, you know about about twenty to thirty percent only CSU. Um, another sort of 20%, well, actually, no, maybe I'll change that a little bit. Of the, of the CSUs, yeah. I would say that group is 60%, and I think of that group, 70% have angioedema, similar to, wow. to okay. European. So that, yeah. on the higher spectrum. And then I would say we see 40%, so uh, which are angioedema only variants. Um, wow. and, and, okay. and I think that's, so like even if you look at our clinic, like every week we'll probably be referred you know, three to five patients with urticarial angioedema, and this is at our tertiary center, and three of those five will be referred for recurrent angioedema without wheels. Um, and, 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 and probably a tiny fraction of them turn out to be bradykinin-mediated, you know, in terms of their response. Majority of them are responding to often a combination of high doses of antihistamine, they also, a lot of them, that's why I mentioned the H. pylori, a lot of them, 80% of them are going to have H. pylori positivity. And some, I mean, we haven't done a prospective study, but I think our data probably reflects what is out there in the meta-analysis world about the response to eradication. A lot of them do seem to get better. Um, we've also looked at the, the sort of uh, pseudo-allergen-free uh, diets. Yeah. Uh, some and I think again our data probably reflects the international response rates of about uh, you know a third of patients uh, and I think I'm quite interested in this area you know I've, I've set up a small study prospectively now to try and look at this in a little bit more detail because I do think that it is a disproportionate high rate. I agree and uh, looking forward to the results it's important to make this a regional effort because yeah there are differences and we need to better understand them. Uh, Johnny those 40% of patients with recurrent angioedema um, who mostly 
respond to antihistamine and or omalizumab treatment. We would consider them CSU patients, CSU patients without wheels. Uh, and I'm, I don't know where we are, maybe of all of our CSU patients, I'd say 10, 15% have angioedema only, 20% have, or 20, 25% have wheels only, and the rest of them have wheels and angioedema. So it's, I think it'd be interesting to see uh, with such a high rate of angioedema only, um, what's behind that. And that brings me to something that you've already talked about, causes and concept, um, which may be very different. You no, know, Most of my patients believe that they have an allergy. That's their concept. Or they say, um, I know this is not an allergy, but also no one was able to tell me what I have. So a, a wrong concept or no concept is the rule. What do African, South African patients think? What, why do they think they have chronic spontaneous urticaria? So it's quite interesting because, you know, the other thing about South Africa that really drives and inf infiltrates everything, including our clinical practice, is, of course, the, the wide inequality in our country. So, so I can have, and, and, and even you know, my own practice straddles those two. So I have a public sector clinic. So those are people that have no insurance. Uh, they're often from very low socioeconomic backgrounds. And then I also have a private clinic, uh, yeah. which will be people with medical insurances, uh, you know, people with with uh, with kind of fancy houses in different places, and so the the and we also have this disparity in our health expenditure, where ninety percent of our health budget is actually spent on ten percent of the population. Um, and and I would say that my view is that the conceptual understanding uh, differs between those two groups in terms of the um, reasons driving their urticaria and angioedema. So. The, um, the kind of higher socioeconomic group in the kind of insured group, they go hunting high and low for, for allergy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, the, um, and then they will move. So often they will find a specialist quicker. And then they actually, probably because of their familiarity with autoimmunity, and I heard actually on some of the previous regional discussions talking about this, they will move quicker to that autoimmune concept and be happier to take that on board. Whereas um, the, the group of patients that, I, that are mostly from a poorer background with lower levels of education, they um, will either have no concept, so they've got no uh, kind of uh, view of, of their thing, or they will also go to some form of allergy. Uh, and they actually struggle. So, you know, I spend time uh, drawing pictures or trying to explain some of the autoimmune concepts or the autoallergic concepts. And those are those are quite difficult concepts uh, for people to understand. Um, and in fact, I still spend quite a lot of time uh, explaining those concepts to colleagues, too, <laughs> as well. Yeah. To get that going. Yeah. Fascinating. I was just thinking that um, that's exceptional, I think, when you talked about your practice and uh, the, the the two groups of patients you you have what the world has in your city you no know, this huge disparity about access uh, and and uh, what what can the world of urticaria learn from Cape Town then how do we how do we deal with these uh, disparities how can we um, help them all no patient left behind I mean I think that comes you know one of the areas where I've tried to um, really focus is on access to 
to kind of guideline-driven therapies. And so, you know, part and parcel of that is education. And I think all of us uh, in the kind of lower middle-income countries, and, and pleasingly, when I hear some colleagues as well from North America, there's similar, a, a need to kind of continue the education to just get, like I said earlier, get people onto using high-dose second-generation yeah. antihistamine. But then the other component is that I really do think that as a kind of healthcare practitioner, I really aim for equality across the two groups with respect to treatment access. And that's actually an interesting one because, you know, we still only have about three, four percent of patients accessing omelizumab. Um, so, you know, some of them will have paid for omelizumab through the their medical schemes and their insurances. And then what we've managed to do, um, fortunately, Cape Town, even within South Africa, actually has a pretty robust uh, public health system that's quite strong here. And in relationship to that, I've been able to work with my pharmacy colleagues to negotiate with pharma. And what we're able to do is we're able to negotiate with them that they give us much reduced prices. So they're not they're not pegged based on the sort of what we call the single exit price, which is related to medical insurances and funders, they can actually negotiate at a different rate. And so I've actually had several of my more severe patients uh, paid for omelizumab in the public sector. So they can be poor patients that are accessing this high level of care, which is great. And then of course, the other thing that's been invaluable and, and, and being part of this network has also facilitated that is access to clinical trials because uh, in a clinical trial setting, uh, you know, and, and we, we're seeing this now, excitingly, I've seen some in the pipeline now, I've got a couple of biosimilar clinical trials where we're going to have, you know, no placebo group, we're going to have a biosimilar and we're going to have omelizumab in the control line. And, you know, that's like a win-win for my patients because um, you can take patients now from any sector uh, and you can help them to, to, to access care. So, so I think actually, you know, these kinds of, of networks, they both help us on the education front and, and trying to straddle these two worlds to me has been kind of what I'm aiming for. And then it also forces you to try to come up with some in, innovative uh, methods to really get your patients the best they can. Super. Thank you so much, uh, Johnny. This is fascinating. Um, you talked about education and how, how important that is in addition to access to modern medication. And certainly, UCARE Level Up and UCARE for You for physicians and patients have already done a lot to improve education. Uh, thank you uh, for your um, uh, contributions to the different formats. How is that received? And uh, does that need to be regionalized uh, in lack of a better term. How can we make this specific to African, South African patient and physician populations? I mean, I do think that that's something that uh, we, we are going to have to work on as a center moving forward. I still feel that in Cape Town, we are, you know, lots of our patients will speak English or Afrikaans, and which is one of the local languages here, but they will read in English often. So you know, for, for patient material, educational material, that kind of thing. Um, we are not yet as good, I think, as we should be in finding urticaria patients in some of the more remote areas, some of the areas where the languages are more uh, local languages. Um, and I do think that that for me in the coming years on an educational front is something that 
you know, taking exactly as you said, uh, taking some of the the great work you guys have been doing and you know translating it and getting that into uh, areas because I think that and and I think it's not just a patient uh, education aspect; it's a medical doctor education aspect too. Agree, agree. Uh, we just came out um, uh, as a network with the UCARE app Cruise, Chronic Uticaria Self-Evaluation app, and it's doing really well in Germany, Austria, Switzerland so far. We're going to the UK soon. Um, how will this be received when Cruise comes to South Africa? Yeah, I think that some of I've, I've I've seen that Cruise app and it looks great. I've seen some of the discussions around that. Um, I think that what is encouraging um, in our context is it's a very high rate increasing quickly of smartphone penetration um, in South Africa. And so I do think that uh, apps have the potential like this of, of making a difference. I do think they will need to be uh, customized for regional languages and, and, to, and, and also, believe it or not, not just a language customization, but again, a cost factor. So, and it's not the cost of the app, it's the cost of data. Uh, mm. And fortunately, there's several people and several fronts, you know, in digital health that are looking at this, but data is astronomically expensive in South Africa. Oh, okay. uh, and so it's one of the major issues when you want to have people interact with you, even on WhatsApp or, or, or they want to interact with you on, on some kind of app like this, they need the data time to upload the information and that's often what they're lacking. Wow, I didn't know that that would be a limitation. Well, great, thank you for sharing your insights and I'm looking forward to working with you on bringing crews to South Africa soon. Johnny, I'm looking at the time and we have to say goodbye for now, uh, but I'm not gonna let you go without asking you a question <laughs> that I have asked previously many, many of uh, our friends who were on this podcast. Um, you're carry in Africa, certainly many things to do uh, here, you stumble upon that suitcase, $5 million worth, the only note it has attached to it, must spend on urticaria in Africa. Well, what would you do? Uh, yeah, thanks for giving me 5 million. That's really great. You know, I always would, I would always go to colleagues and look for some matching co-funding. <laughs> but, but I think the first thing is, you know, actually I liked uh, Kieran's answer to this question where he split the funds between education and basic science. And I think we, we are similar in South Africa and in Africa to that. So I would definitely take half of the funds and devote it to, you know, improving our coverage of educational coverage and awareness, those kinds of initiatives, adapting, uh, you know, existing apps for our regional context, maybe even providing people with free access through data, you know, trying to negotiate on that front, some of the resources in that way. And then I think from a basic science perspective, I probably would be, I'm most interested um, in the angioedema only, you know, recurrent angioedema context and where I'm kind of my science is, is leaning is an intersection between, um, you know, genetics uh, and, and particularly African genetics, which are so uh, heterogeneous and, and, and diverse and intersecting there and, and with the immune system and then with the kind of uh, peptides, actually not mast cells, but, you know, vasoactive peptides. Uh, and because the one thing I maybe should leave you with that will just spark the interest from an African context is that we have genetically a five to tenfold higher rate of ACE inhibitor angioedema in black African populations. And so we have some ongoing projects on this, but that's, I think, where I would put your money. Super. Well, 
you certainly deserve it. Very happy to see uh, all of us uh, aligned within the network and good luck with all your experiments and projects. And thank you again. You're being uh, have been and are a motor of our network. And uh, I truly value all of your input and dedication. Thank you, Johnny. Um, and thank you for being on this uh, episode. Thank you very much for having Marcus. Folks, this is it. This is all the time we have today, but there are more episodes. So go check them out. All things Urticaria and new ones coming. If you have something that you want us to talk about in one of these episodes, then please do reach out to the UK office here in Berlin. We'll be happy to take that up and bring all things Urticaria to you many more times. Stay safe, stay healthy. Bye-bye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding Urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.